Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is Chloe Butteridge. I am your host. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and the author of The Anxiety Solution. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening as always. So this week I'm talking to Sharu Izadi and she is a behavioural change specialist and she's the author of the book The Kindness Method and we talk about changing habits and it's my opinion that habits underpin our whole lives and if we can get our habits in order then we can change our lives, then we can change and transform our mental health and we can do all the things that we want to do and it all starts with those daily habits. Now Sharu has her own experience of changing a habit. She has lost eight stone in weight and she's done lots of things to increase her self-esteem and change other sort of unwanted habits, both for herself and for her clients. She has worked in addiction and she now works in private practice, helping people with all sorts of habits from people that want to drink less, to people that want to lose weight and be kinder to themselves. And she details her top tips for how we can change habits and the things that really stand in our way and stop us from changing unwanted habits and being able to do the things that we really want to do in our lives. And it's actually quite surprising some of the things that she shares. So I'm really excited for you to learn from her. And make sure you listen to the end because me and Sharu leave you with a little bit of a challenge. And I'd love for you to post on my Instagram post about this podcast with the answer to this challenge. And I think you're going to find it really helpful and quite challenging, but ultimately very rewarding. So definitely check that out. I'd love it if you leave a review for this podcast. If you enjoy it, please share it with a friend who might benefit from listening to this too. And I want to say thank you for all your support. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome, Sheree. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, can you please tell us what it is that you do and how you how you got to be where you are today? Sure. I'm a behavioural change specialist. I started working in addiction treatment, so frontline substance misuse treatment in the community, in prisons as part of the criminal justice system um, and in a clinical setting too. So I was working seeing all the kinds of tools that that we use in this in this country to help people come off drugs essentially um in, including alcohol and i started um adapting those kinds of tools i realized that they were just basic motivational tools and they weren't necessarily only relevant to drug use 
or becoming abstinent from something. And so I started adapting them and putting on workshops and kind of looking at how we could make them more available to everyone to help them change their own habits. Um, because in addiction treatment also, there has been a real move towards people managing their own habits. Um, and I've always been really into self-help and personal development. And so I thought if I if I could take what I've learned from addiction and um, make it more personal development-y as opposed to so clinical, then maybe I could help people to help themselves. And that's what I've been doing really for a couple of years now. And that's what my book's about, essentially. So interesting, because I suppose in terms of drug addictions, that's probably the most extreme example of a habit kind of gone wrong and you know you've been able to help people with those sorts of things so the you know you've helped people with these extreme kind of issues and it puts you in a good position to be able to help people with things that maybe we think of as less kind of extreme habits or addictions um what sort of things do you help people with then in a more sort of personal development sense food and alcohol are probably the main ones um, but more recently, things like um, dependence on social media and technology that they're not as happy with, um, codependent behaviors, low self-esteem, sort of a lot of the underlying stuff that often manifests itself in behaviors that are unwanted or compulsive. Um, low self-esteem is, is a big one, certainly. So helping people understand their behavior patterns as well as their thought patterns um, and where they came from and kind of look at them with a compassionate curiosity. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say for the most part, though, food and alcohol are the, are the main ones. Right. Especially okay. since because, sorry, because with alcohol, um, most most people find that when they they have they feel they have a problem with alcohol, even if it's not a serious one, um, they're encouraged to stop altogether for the most part. And a lot of people want to find that in between place where they can moderate it. And food, again, you can't be abstinent from food. So you need to find a sort of plan that works for you. And um, that's, yeah, that tends to be my main clientele now. Okay, so interesting. Yeah, I think there is, from people that I've spoken to, a lot of people that don't want to go down the route of completely giving up alcohol, but they want to be more moderate or they recognise that it's affecting them. And probably a lot of people listening will recognize that alcohol probably has a bad impact on things like their anxiety and and so I think that could be a thing that people are interested in listening um is there a difference or what would be the difference between an addiction and a habit then so is it if people are just they have a habit of overeating or they addicted to food how would you kind of define the difference well, I think we're always engaging in habits constantly. So everything we do is is a habit. I think if we find it difficult or impossible to stop engaging in that in that habit despite trying really hard to, then you could probably call it an addiction in a very basic sense. Um, but we're always in, engaging in in habits, even if your habit is doing nothing. You have a habit of doing nothing, you know. So I think that's that's probably the difference is that everything we're doing is a is a habit. Okay. And I'm sure I've read quotes. I can't remember what the quote is now, but there's quotes around, or there's a quote around how our lives are made up of our habits. And if we can get our habits under control, we can change our lives. And it's the, the most important kind of building block of our well-being and, you know, how we feel potentially of our anxiety levels or, you know, things like depression. Habits are so, mm. so important. 
Um, what, why are they so hard to change? Why do people get so stuck, do you think? Well, I think a lot of the time we don't choose our habits. They kind of just emerge as a result of need and circumstance. And so we don't really, a lot of us don't stop to ask, am I happy with the state of my day-to-day habits? Have they got worse than I wanted them to get? Am I, you know, am I generally satisfied with them? And the reason we find it hard to change is because changing the the status quo is hard, even it's from even if it's from something you want to do and like doing to something else. It's just the place of comfort mm. for a lot of us, and so we're always going to want to default back onto that place that we know. There isn't any fear of the unknown. There's less fear of failure. We know we can do that thing over and over again. And usually other habits surround the main habit that we want to change. And so we become worried that if we change one thing, lots of other things will change as well. Okay. I think that's that's one of the main considerations for a lot of people is if I change this one thing, how is it going to impact the rest of my life? Because all these other things kind of work around it too. Okay. So what what would an example of that be? So let's say for kind of eating or alcohol or something. Well, that may impact whether you, you know, you may worry that it impacts your social life. You may impact, worry that it impacts how well you can get on with your colleagues, that it may mean that you're going to uncover something if you drink less that you don't like or social anxiety or have to deal with underlying issues around it. Um, And so the fear of that may be enough to kind of, make you want to default back into the status quo as quickly as possible when things get tough so there's so many things surrounding the habit that potentially are things that you don't want to give up like the yeah the social anxiety calming effects of alcohol or food and that sort of thing yeah and I think a lot of the time we don't acknowledge because we're told so often what's bad about these kinds of habits um, and how damaging they can be and we can be scared off from telling the truth about the extent of them a lot of the time, especially in, in the case of alcohol. Mm. What we what we fail to do is the most insightful exercise of all, I think, into habits, which is to think about how they're serving us. And if they're not serving us now, how they once served us. So we, I don't think we should be looking at what's bad at habits so much. I think most most people will give you the same responses as to what's bad about overeating or what's bad about alcohol or other drugs. Um, The thing that will give each individual person the insight that they need to make changes that they want, really bespoke changes, um, is to look at what's good about it. How does it serve you? What does it give you that you otherwise don't have? And what else could you do that might be able to give you the same comfort um, or serve as a coping strategy? that you can get better at because unfortunately a lot of our unwanted habits become less effective over time mm. certainly that's what I found working in drugs and other alcohol uh, alcohol and other drugs I'm yeah. so used to saying alcohol and other drugs yeah it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, <laughs> I read a book the unexpected joy of being sober recently and oh, she yeah and she talks about she lumps alcohol in with drug drugs, alcohol and other drugs. That's the kind of the proper way that it's talked about. But often we don't consider that alcohol is a drug. We think it's this kind of separate thing, which is totally fine. And we can get away with just drinking as much as we want. But actually, it is a drug, essentially. It's a highly addictive so, drug. Yeah. Very few people know that alcohol is one of the only ones. I mean, obviously, at a very 
if you're highly, highly, highly physically dependent, if you with you can die from withdrawal. You know, it's one of the the very few drugs that that's that that's the case with. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I was in Leicester Square a few weeks ago, and um, it was quite late at night, and there were a lot of people who were very drunk. And um, I remember looking around, and I said to my friend, "Imagine if we didn't know what alcohol was. Imagine <laughs> this drug was just released into the world. And this is the effect that it was having on people. And it was quite a, you know, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I like drinking myself. I do, but I'm aware that um, there are times when I want to drink to avoid or distract or block something out, and there are times when I want to drink because." I I want something that legitimately, you know, does relax me a little bit or makes a nice situation nicer. And Mm. so for me, that's been the kind of line between use and abuse that I try and distinguish between. Okay, so whether you're trying to escape from something or whether you're trying to make and celebrate or make something nicer and use it for that. And also, you know, with the celebrate thing, very often we only really turn to one main thing to celebrate. In this country, that tends to be booze a lot of the time. But we also use it to commiserate. We use it because it's Friday or Wednesday or Tuesday or your After birthday. <laughs> Jesus's birthday. <laughs> yeah, like, um, and so what I encourage in the kindness method is not to take that away, but rather to think about other ways that you celebrate. Be more discerning. You know, split mm-hmm. up your coping strategies so that there are, there are ways that you reward yourself. And very often we reward ourselves by doing the thing we've been trying not to do. So I certainly did that when I was losing weight. I would want to reward myself for not eating too much, I don't know, whatever I'd chosen to eat less of, white bread, by um, eating loads of white bread. You know, that was my reward. Yeah. Rather than thinking, okay, well, all that does is reinforce this idea that I was either being good or bad and I'm either good or bad as opposed to thinking, well, there's five or six different things I do to reward myself, depending on the mood I'm in. That's such a good idea. Um, One of the things I really wanted to ask you was this pattern that I've seen in people I know, I see it in clients. um, It's of someone deciding to to make a change in their lives, to change a habit. Maybe they go on a course and they learn about meditation or they um, kind of read a book about something and they decide they want to make a change and they're really excited about it for the first few days, they've made their decision and they tell people about it. And then two weeks later, I suppose it's the same with kind of news resolutions and that sort of thing. They've completely run out of steam. They've forgotten that they ever wanted to make that change in the first place. Mm-hmm. Why are we so bad at changing habits and what can we start to do to um, stop that from happening and keep on, on track? Well, there are, there are various reasons. Um... One of them is I think that we we tend not, we tend to underestimate how dramatically our motivation levels will waver depending on all sorts of little things. And that we're always going to be ambivalent about change, any change. We're going to be going backwards and forwards depending on how easy it is at that time. Um, and certainly working in substance misuse has taught me that you can meet someone who's more motivated than they've ever felt and within minutes finds themselves in the middle of a relapse. So it's it's I think the the first and foremost thing is expecting it to be difficult, even if you can't imagine how it possibly could be so that when that happens, the element of shock is taken out of it. The surprise can send us into um, a bit of a panic and make us make decisions that 
sort of defaults back again onto the decisions that at least we know we're comfortable with and we're familiar with. Um, I think, yeah, looking at roadblocks, being realistic about roadblocks, being realistic about the things that we know um, may interrupt our motivation, interrupt the path that that we're on, preempting them, acknowledging them. And so a lot of the time now, for example, if I feel that my motivation dips, I'll kind of go, well, of course it will. You know, of course it was going to. If you'd asked me how many days this month I thought it would be difficult to change my life completely and do all sorts of new things, I probably would have guessed 10. So if this is day four, then there's probably six more on the way. You know, and also I'm I'm a big fan of visual cues and writing things down. So what I tend to do is try and capture those moments where it's really important to me to change. Like in the book, the first exercise that you do is a, a snapshot letter, um, which is writing yourself a letter right at the beginning of the process. Because as as things change and you feel better, you can start falling into complacency traps or something we, we call euphoric recall, where you're looking back and you, you things don't seem as bad as they were and you start sort of romanticizing that that time when you were doing what you wanted all the time you know and okay. con- conveniently forgetting how bad things got now that you've taken the edge off it you know and mm. um and so just just reminding yourself in your own handwriting can be really really impactful and kind of going okay i knew this was going to be hard i knew that there were forces that were going to try and keep me the same but i've decided to push forward regardless preempting I think with yeah. with any kind of a self-awareness exercise um forewarned really is forearmed take the shock out of it take the surprise out of it almost like you've lifted out of yourself and gone oh look at that that interesting human who has been triggered by this or found themselves in a difficult kind of a situation mm-hmm. and has and has now decided that it's not as important or they've trivialized or normalized the changes that they wanted to make I find that to be um quite a useful exercise yeah, that sounds really helpful. And I guess often we go into, you know, wanting to change something with enthusiasm and freshness and excitement about the change. And it feels very easy at first. And we think, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, I, I can I can not smoke for two days or I can not drink for, you know, a week or something. And then but actually sort of stepping back and realizing that it's going to be difficult so that you have a bit of a plan for how you're going to handle the kind of the ups and downs of it definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think so. And just preempting it and kind of knowing yourself and coming from an honest place. You know, there'll be some reasons that a lot of us think we should want to change and they're not going to keep us motivated. Obviously, uh, what I often do is remember the um, the example I had when I was very, very overweight. The doctor always, always used to say things like, you're going to get diabetes, you're going to get heart disease, this is going to be really bad for your health. And although those were valid reasons for me they were a bit abstract you know they weren't keeping me on a treadmill um what was were reasons that perhaps weren't as noble to have you know vanity things like that um and and so it wasn't until I was able to be really honest about those just with myself, you know, in a diary or however, just just acknowledging that whatever reasons you have are OK. It really is a matter of whatever gets you there. And of course, as a result, my, you know, my health has improved enormously and doctors happy. But 
I mean, don't don't expect the thing that other people think will motivate you to keep you motivated. Like find your own real reasons. Be honest with yourself because it's okay if if they're not the most profound reasons. <laughs> okay, so really getting clear on what the the benefits will be of changing. Yeah, how yeah. your life will be better. I think a lot of the time we think that if we if if something is less bad, if we move away from something bad, that that will keep us motivated. I think that will get us going, but we need to move towards something good to keep going. Um, we need to know how our lives on a day-to-day basis are going to be better when no one's watching and no one cares. You know, I think that's I think that's really important to keep you motivated yeah. long term. Yeah, it, it reminds me of I used to work with smokers to help them to stop smoking. I'm a I'm a hypnotherapist. Um, and people always think that if you come and have hypnotherapy for stopping smoking, that you have to focus on the stench of smoking and how much money you're wasting and all these things. But actually the things that motivate people are thinking about growing old with their grandchildren and being able to run up the stairs and, um, all the positive, amazing things about being smoke free. And that's actually a lot more motivating for people than the kind of the negative things. And I think it's, people don't expect that often. No, it's 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 very much a case of carrots, not sticks. Mm. And I think also think about it. What do people normally say that they're smoking for? Stress, dealing with uncomfortable days and feelings, yeah. having a telling break them, at work. Yeah, telling them loads of harrowing stories about smoking is only going to want them to <laughs> make them want to smoke. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> or have a last binge before you know before they have to start this miraculous plan. Mm. Whereas you know, if if we accept that they like smoking accept it it's fine you like smoking it's okay but you like this the prospect of this better so mm. on balance you've decided to do this accepting the fact that it's going to be hard because you like smoking that's okay you don't have to hate it you just have to accept that you know on balance you've decided this other option is better and also accept that maybe it's only you know the scales have only tipped whereby 51% of you doesn't want to smoke anymore and 49% of you does don't ignore that 49% <laughs> You know, it's going to be talking to you constantly and trying to pull you back. Listen to it, acknowledge it with compassion, with understanding, and it won't be so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can, can you tell us what what the kindness method is? And that's the title of your book. But what is the kindness method? The kindness method is an approach. It's a series of exercises that I take people through to first increase their self-esteem then remind them of how capable they are and then help them to plan changes meticulously, both practically and emotionally so that they can be ready to really have higher rates of success than they have in the past. And it's an opportunity for people to do these exercises, just written exercises by themselves, really quick. They're designed for people who don't want to sit for ages and do loads and loads of that deeper work. They actually just realize that their day-to-day habits need to be checked in on every now and then and want to take that into their own hands. So I, I made, I created the kindness method, as I said before, by looking at the motivational tools, the evidence-based tools we're already using in addiction and kind of morphing them with the stuff that I already knew was was working in the world of personal development, mindful practice and acceptance and commitment therapies and motivational interviewing and asset-based recovery and all these little bits that I picked up along the way. And I left out a lot of stuff that 
I didn't personally find useful or it didn't really land. I tried it out on a lot of people. And eventually I was left with the kindness method, which is a stripped down version that applies to literally any habit you want to change. So the idea is that once you've learned how to use it, you can keep using it over and over again for the rest of your life whenever something, an unwanted habit emerges that you're not happy with. Mm. rather than having to hand yourself over. Because I certainly found with my weight and with a few other problems I had growing up that it's always when you're at your most vulnerable that you hand yourself over to an expert. And even though I, you know, I know quite a lot about this stuff, I'm I'm very sensitive. I'm I'm very conscious not to have people now assume that I'm an authority um, and that they're not. I'm really just handing over tools. I want people to know that they are, as we say in addiction recovery, you know, they are experts by experience. They'd have to spend a long time with me before I could really understand honestly what is going on for them. If I can just give them the tools to draw that out themselves, um, then they can go on a sort of lifelong journey journey of becoming more self-aware um, and feeling that they're managing their lives in a way that they're that they're happy with coming from a really honest place it means we don't have to wait to sort of hand over lots of money and build rapport with an expert and find a person who gives you all the answers because that just doesn't exist you know and then we just become more, more demoralized and we feel weak and it's it's unnecessary we we have all the answers I think I just wanted to hand over a framework that that draws them out draws those answers out of people yeah I think it's it's very empowering to know that we can change ourselves and to to have a framework to support us in doing that when we don't really know where to start often um how significant is the kindness bit for you in the kindness method and what do you can you go into that a bit more and why that's so important yeah very i think um kindness towards ourselves i think is is very nice um, speaking to ourselves more kindly is very nice. We've heard a lot about self-compassion and self-care and it's all very lovely. Um, from my point of view, it actually also gets us to where we want to be a lot more quickly. When I look at, um, you know, the difference between a lapse and a relapse. So if we say that in the context of habit change, a lapse would be um, a minor deviation from your plan and a relapse would be a full-blown return to how things were at the beginning or worse mm. in in, in your opinion, if you um, lapse, I think it's the conversation that you have with yourself that determines whether or not that turns into a relapse um, and therefore um, drags out the amount of time it takes to come back on to being on, on track, whatever that means for you. And I think that if that conversation is kind and forgiving and understanding and compassionate, then you get back on track pretty, pretty quickly. If that conversation is the same kind of conversation you'd have with a person you really cared about, it would probably be quite motivational, quite high energy, quite positive. You'd be like, oh, just dust yourself off. It's fine. Just get back on board. It doesn't matter. Look to, look to the future. Except when we're, when we're talking to ourselves a lot of the time before we examine this kind of stuff, we realize that what we're saying is all these, you know, we're reinforcing these core beliefs from 20 years ago when a teacher told you, like, you're the kind of person who starts things and doesn't finish them or, you know, you're, you're weak-willed or you don't have any willpower or you were never as you were never going to be as successful as this person or that person. And that stuff kind of makes us want to um, behave unkindly towards ourselves, both in what we're saying to ourselves and in how we're treating ourselves. And what I want to do really is to change that definition of kindness that a lot of us have from wanting instant relief 
to doing something that we'll be glad we did tomorrow or in a week or in a month. I think that's the kinder option. That's that's the shift that it's taking. And so I think a lot of people assume that because it's called the kindness method, I'm very much interested in things being very um, softly, softly, which I am. You know, I do appreciate self-care as, as a concept, but I'm also really a, very much a quick fix person who wants to get things done. Mm. And so from a practical sense, changing that conversation you have with yourself and just cutting to the end and just being nice will actually get you back on track and get you achieving your goals in a shorter space of time (laughs) so yeah that makes so much sense and and yet so often we're in this habit of thinking that if we beat ourselves up that it will motivate us to you know I think something I see a lot is procrastination and people beat themselves up they get into the cycle of beating themselves up about not getting the things done that they need to do then they feel bad about themselves so they do something to try and make themselves feel better and they don't end up doing the work and it's kind of a a cycle of that and also a habit of really negative self-talk that goes along with that um and it's not working for for people so you know the kind the kinder way to do it you know is is the other option and it's got to be the the better the better option of the two it's more effective it's actually more effective in getting things done procrastination is a fine example you know and I thought I think also you know a lot of the habits we engage in that we don't want to engage in again are to distract and avoid thoughts and feelings that we're not happy with and one of those thoughts and feelings one of those things is very often brought on sorry those things are often brought on as a result of having cruel conversations with ourselves of course Mm -hmm. we'd want to avoid those of course we want to block those out if you start changing those conversations making them more kind over time of course it takes time um you've got less you want to avoid (laughs) Mm. Mm. and so it becomes easier to, to, to change those habits yeah and I like the way I think quite early on in your book you talk about about how negative self-talk is a habit and how important it is to to sort of change that. Um, One other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, self-sabotage. And it's a topic that I've noticed is getting talked about more. I've seen it in kind of women's magazines and kind of websites, people talking about this topic of self-sabotage, that it's become a bigger topic. But Mm -hmm. can you explain what it is and why, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, there is there are more there are more um, surface reasons I think that I've come across things like just find starting to find changes difficult and wanting to put things in your in your way mm. um, to make it impossible for you to stay on track with something difficult. Um, you know, like deciding to you know deciding you're not going to drink more than two nights a week, but making plans with someone who you know is a heavy drinker, things like that. Mm. Um, From a deeper perspective, I've actually found recently talking to clients that a lot of people self-sabotage because they're, they're in in a way, they're scared of reaching their own potential. They're they're scared of achieving for fear that it won't be as good as they hoped. They won't feel as good as they hoped. Or that if they really tried as hard as they possibly could and were rejected in some way, or criticized, then that would really hurt. But if it was a matter of just giving a sort of a half-assed attempt um, and and that didn't work out, at least they had that sort of, um, that cushion that said, well, you know, I didn't actually try that hard. I could Mm. have tried hard. I didn't, I didn't give it my all. Yeah. I think it's, 
it's a lot more scary to think that you really gave something your all and that it was rejected or people didn't think it was very good or it, or it didn't make you feel as good as as you'd hoped it didn't mm. you know fix all your problems and stuff certainly that's that's a that's a theme that I'm also noticing very very recently more mm. from my clients especially women yeah so almost a, a kind of a fear of success or fear of failure or self-protection mechanism so that you know we don't have to feel the full sting of failure because we, we didn't give it our best so yeah you know we didn't really fail you know we you know we can sort of protect ourselves against that that's so interesting I okay. think so I find it I find it very very interesting and I think I'm probably guilty of it too but the thing is with all of these things is that I think the important thing is to give people the opportunity to explore it for themselves. I'm not saying that there aren't things that do require focused intervention, but I think on a day-to-day basis, if you're holding your back, if you're, if you find yourself holding yourself back from doing something you really want to do, then it, it is worth doing that kind of extra work around what comfort you're getting from not achieving the goals that you want to achieve. Mm. Because you probably are, it is serving you to stay the same way in some way, or at least has done in the past. Mm, okay, yeah. So if we can recognise what, in what way the kind of negative habit is serving us, then that's the first kind of step in unlocking, unlocking the kind of the stuckness of where we are so that we can move forward with it. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Just ask yourself, does it give me comfort? Does it make me feel calm? Is it the only way I know? Is it the only way I've ever seen? If I if I change, will it change my social life? What am I afraid of? You know, ask yourself these questions before immediately just just going, oh, I'm I'm weak and I should be able to change it. This should be easier than that. And it's just not a very insightful um, approach to take. It doesn't inform a, a plan that's that, that'll help you. It actually just delays you from getting there mm-hmm. yeah amazing um I'm sure we could talk for ages about this I've got one more question for you before we, we wrap it up um do you have is there any other so if the first step is kind of recognizing how the old habit is serving you what would be the next step in changing something so whether it's wanting to stop procrastinating or wanting to do something for your mental health or reduce your drinking what would be the kind of next step do you think I'd say, um, first and foremost, when you pick your goals, when you decide what to do, a lot of us want to change everything at once. You know, we want to be a whole new person. Mm. And you can be. But the important thing in those initial plans you make is make it so that your short term goals, well, our short term in the first instance, are, are challenging enough so that if you achieve them, you'll feel really proud of yourself but not so challenging that you doubt whether it's possible for you to achieve them Mm. to find that little sweet spot in the middle, because in the first stages, it's not so important that you make huge changes. It's important that you surprise yourself with how capable you are. Once you start feeling how good that feels to constantly think, Oh, I didn't think I could do that, but I can, I'm really surprising myself. Maybe that teacher when I was 14, wasn't, didn't, didn't have me sort you know, right. Um, then it just starts leaking into the rest of your life. You find yourself being more ambitious with the other opportunities that you pursue. And then once you've got that, you can apply it to everything. So I'd say in the first instance, keep your keep your goals short term and doable and start rewarding yourself and 
punctuating the process with rewards that don't involve what you're trying not to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So don't, um, so don't, yeah, reward yourself with food if you're trying to lose weight or with a cigarette if you're trying to quit smoking or yeah, that exactly. sort of thing. Yeah. Not, even if you're just cutting down on, on, on uh, smoking and it wouldn't even be a relapse, do it just to remind yourself that you deserve more than just one type of reward. Mm. Simple mm. as that. It's just these changing up these ideas about ourselves and how capable we are and how worthy we are. That's what's going to help us make fundamental changes that, that, that last a year and five years and 10 years from now, mm. not just white knuckling everything and then um, hoping it sticks. I think that's such an important uh, point because I think again in the beginning of your book one of the first things that you ask people to do is to write about you get people to write these lovely maps where you kind of on a, on a sheet of paper kind of writing down um, kind of things that they're, you're proud of about yourself and ways that you're happy to be um, mm-hmm. things that you like about yourself I suppose essentially and although that com- would probably seem quite a challenge for lots of people to sort of try I think it's so um, beneficial and rewarding to do that even if it's uncomfortable because often well lots of us find it hard to accept compliments or we find it hard to think about things that we're good at it feels kind of cringy or something like that so um, I definitely recommend for people listening to to read the book and to follow those initial steps because it sounds like getting that self-esteem in place and strengthening your self-esteem and knowing that you deserve you deserve to make those positive changes is a really important um, piece of the puzzle really yeah you does you deserve deserve more than instant relief you know Mm. you deserve to be in a better place for yourself in six months time than than you are now you know the other night I did a I did another podcast and the lady who was interviewing me at the end, just as a fun exercise, I said to her, can you tell me one thing you like about yourself? And she found it really difficult. And and I said to her, how, how would you feel if the person you loved most in this whole world was finding it this difficult to tell me one thing they liked about themselves? And she said, God, that, that breaks my heart. Mm. And it's realizing that and kind of thinking, why the hell am I not deserving of being able to say one thing I like about myself? Mm. Mm. Um, And just asking yourself those questions in a very gentle and curious way. You know, you don't want to turn this into a whole new punitive process either. Mm. Mm. I love that. And sometimes I like to set the listeners a bit of a challenge. And I think that would be a good challenge to think about maybe three things that they like about themselves and write them down. And if you're um, following uh, me on Instagram, post that underneath the, the post about this podcast and announce it to the world. And um, I think that'd be a good thing to do. And I will do that as well. So thank you. Amazing. Cool. So thank you so much. It's been so interesting. I think habits are really like the key to everything really. And self-esteem is certainly the key to everything. Um, if we can get that down then everything becomes so much easier um, can you tell us about where people can find out more about you and where they can get your book and if people want to come and see you can they come and see you or what's yeah yeah absolutely I um I if you go on my website shiruazadi.com I've recently joined Instagram 
also Sheru Izadi. So I'm learning how to use that. And I've been doing sort of daily stories with tips on habit change and creating quite a nice community on there of people who send me direct messages, like kind of declaring what they're going to do. Uh, yeah, that's, that's been, that's been really lovely. Um, I've been trying to get over how cringy it is to see yourself on camera or hear your own voice. I'm all very, it's, it's all very new, new to me. I have yeah. to, even now I have to try not to look in that little box mm, on mm, Skype, you know, mm. it's, you've become quite self-conscious. Um, uh, Twitter, Shuruzadi, and yeah, I regularly do talks and workshops, but I update my social media with all of that. So just, uh, yeah. And actually this Sunday, when is this podcast going so out? This is coming out on Monday. Ah, well then don't you worry what I'm doing yeah (laughs) we'll read about it on Instagram Instagram. yeah exactly (laughs) Instagram is the best the best place oh and the book is available on Amazon um, and in Waterstones and Foils and most bookshops and usually if you bump into me I can sell you a book too yeah yeah (laughs) because I bought a little card machine and yeah and I listened to your book on Audible, so it is available on there as well. And yes, thank you very I really much. like the audio version. I love audio books, so it really worked thank well for me. Thank you for the reminder. Yes, absolutely. It's on Audible too. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking to me. And yeah, um, hope you have a good event on Sunday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Take care. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 